Welcome back to our third episode of Season 2 on Real Crime NYC with Chris, Bill, and Pat. In today's Hot Topic episode, we'll continue our discussion of the ongoing investigation of six women found dead in the Portland area over a few short months. But before we start, please remember to subscribe and follow Real Crime NYC so you can get all of our episodes. We have an exciting lineup of Hot Topics and murder investigations all lined up for season two. And it's free. Okay, guys, what do you got? Pat, on the last episode, I think we got really into the weeds when we discussed each of the six women's deaths. One death is definitively a homicide. One death is not suspicious. Four, I think depending on who's speaking, whether it's you, me, or Chris, we're leaning one way or the other, whether it's suspicious, likely to be a homicide or not, possibly an overdose. So in today's episode, let's discuss how are investigations like these coordinated by different agencies? Would there be a lead agency? And if so, who would that lead agency be? Let's get into who would deal with the media and release information to the public. Let's talk about what it's like for an investigator to walk up to these types of scenes. What comes to their minds and what do they do, as we've done so many times in the past? And finally, do you think these deaths are the work of a serial killer? Yeah, so I mean, there's many possibilities here, and six dead bodies does not mean serial killer, does not even mean killer. I mean, in one of them, they've designated a homicide by blunt force trauma, and it looks like that body that was found in the barn was dumped there, meaning she wasn't killed there. So you have at least one homicide. But the rest of these could be a whole different variety of deaths. For instance, the uh, the Native American unidentified that could be a death due to overdose, exposure, chronic alcoholism, natural causes. We don't know. You know, in that one in particular, she's got some very distinctive tattoos, a Buddha on her back and a the letter V with a musical note. And she's got some identifying scars on her leg. So they may be able to identify her pretty quickly, but I think they stated they had ruled out foul play on that one. So now you're down to five. If a couple of them are ODs, well, that's self-explanatory. People jump to a conclusion. There's been some very bombastic headlines. Wow, bombastic, Pat? That's a pretty strong word. Bill, that's the media trying to sell newspapers. That's not accurate reporting. That headline says it as if it's true. And we don't know that it's true. As a matter of fact, we doubt it is. One of them, uh, in particular, Portland residents speculate serial killer at work. Well, that's like me saying, sanitation worker determines you have cancer. <laughs> you know, Portland residents just reading what they see in the paper and not knowing anything about the investigation. A serial killer is interesting to a lot of people, as evidenced by the real crime trend. If there is a common killer among these women, is it someone that preys upon women that may not have a family or friends that are looking for them if they are missing? And I'm not saying that's the case with all of the women in this case. But it could be a perception that the killer has. Let me target women that no one would look for or that no one really, in their mind, cares about. Yeah, based on their situation, they're more vulnerable. If they're homeless, if they're drug addicted, if they have mental problems, they're more vulnerable to someone who has that intent. And you hit the nail right on the head, bingo. That killer's thinking, nobody's going to look for this prostitute, drug addict, homeless person. And I think that's the problem here. You have very, you know- And I'm not saying any of these women were any of those things. I'm just, you know, extrapolating out what could be. They probably, I'm assuming on all of them, have done a sexual offense kit. It's called a rape kit. 
to determine whether they were sexually abused, any intimate relationship that they had prior to their death. And if that DNA is linked between any of uh, the six of them or the five of them to uh, the same individual, then they have a suspect possibly. So there, well, that's, a- that's interesting, Bill. Let, let's talk about that from, from a, a crime scene, Chris, and you from a forensic uh, angle. What is it that's going to be done when these bodies are found? I mean, what are the things that are going to be done in each case? I mean, there's going to be a crime scene established. You're going to try not to disturb the crime scene. What are the things you're going to look for? And what are the things you're going to try to collect from that deceased body and the surrounding area when you come ac- across this body? A really good chief uh, once said, the body is the most vital and important piece of evidence on a murder scene. And the reason being is that body would have evidence on it, a transference of evidence, right? If somebody's killed, except if they're shot, for the most part, the person that killed that victim would have transferred their DNA onto the other person. So what they would do, what a pathologist would do at an autopsy would look under their nails, cut their fingernails off and try to find DNA under the fingernails. And then also different parts of the body swab. Touch DNA, saliva, semen. Yeah, yeah I've, I've had cases where they've actually swabbed the neck area because they were bruising around the neck area. And they, they get touch DNA from the hands of the killer who bruised their neck. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes there's blood found on victims, on their clothing. That may or may not be their own. During that autopsy, there's so many different investigative things that they would do. And some of those things that they would do would be requested by the investigators that have the case. And others would be an automatic. It's protocol to do. So on that sexual offense kit, they're swabbing certain areas. If there's bite marks on the body, they'll swab those areas. If there's undergarments that were left on the body, they'll process those undergarments. They'll do comparisons. They'll develop DNA profiles, unknown DNA profiles, and then they'll put them through the different databases. There's uh, some localities, they have a local database. They have a state database. DNA then, you're talking about. DNA, yes, DNA. And they have that state database, and then they also have the federal database on DNA. That's the, uh, the end of it from the, you know, from the lab, I guess we'll call it. But what about the actual crime scene? You're a detective. You end up at the crime scene. What do you do, Chris? Yeah, Pat, even before the body gets to the medical examiner for the pathologist to do the autopsy, uh, detectives are waiting for the medical legal examiner to come down, the MLI to come down, and basically give them a preliminary on what they have. When the member of the uh, the OCME, the MLI, comes down, they're basically going to look at the body to see if there's uh, any injuries, any trauma, any gunshot wounds, They'll look to see if there's any track marks for drugs. Uh, It basically gives the detective an understanding of what they have there. Obviously, if you have a gunshot wound to the head, you potentially have a homicide if it's not a self-inflicted gunshot wound with a firearm present. So it gives the detective an idea what's going on. Do they have a homicide? Do they not have a homicide? Uh, One of the important things they do is they they check the uh, the body's temperature. They do a rectal thermometer uh, to check the body's temperature to try to get an idea how long the body's been dead for. If it's a relatively fresh body, you could kind of give a uh, an idea of, of how many hours it was there. Depending on the temperature, if it's too cold or too hot out, it's going to alter the temperature. If it's there a very, very long time, it's going to alter the temperature. So detectives want to know how fresh is it. That gives them an idea. The video, um, how far back should we start searching for video? It gives them an idea of how they're going to plan out their investigation. 
So the the, uh, the initial response from the OCME is really very, very important. They'll see on that body, is there a cell phone? They'll put in a, a request for the cell phone data, calls, text. That takes some time. What cell towers has it pinged off of? So as, as a detective just walking up to the scene, here's, here's what I envision. You're exiting your vehicle at a safe distance, so you're not destroying any evidence that's close to the scene. But before you even approach that body, you're looking around at your surroundings. Where are you? Is this desolate? You know, is it a good hiding place? Are there buildings with cameras? And then as you get closer to the scene, you're looking, all right, there's my body. Is there any indication that this body was dragged? Are there marks from, from maybe, you know, shoes being dragged across the grass, across the dirt, gravel, whatever? Then you're going to look at the body. You're going to make note of the arrangement of the clothing. Is the clothing neat or does it look like this person's been moved around or in some kind of a traumatic event? You're going to look for obvious wounds. You're going to make a, an assessment of, of the physical condition of the deceased. Do they look like they're malnourished? Do they look like they're well-fed and well-cared for? Are they dirty? Are they clean? And then you're going to look around and you're going to rope off that area and you're going to do a little bit of a grid search to see if you could find anything that might indicate anything at all about what happened here. It's not like the detectives are just sitting around waiting for the ME to arrive and do all the work. They're doing some some observations right off the bat. And I would think in these rural areas, it's not like New York City. They probably have to wait quite a while for the ME to make it to the scene, to get out to the scene. And uh, so there's a lot going on in the detective's head when he when he sees that scene. And when there's no explanation, man, now you really want to know what's going on here. And that's why I say it's so frustrating when you, you know, you're at the scene, you want an answer right then and there, but you know you're going to have to wait six to eight weeks for a toxicology report to come back to tell you this was or wasn't an OD. So you have to proceed as if it's not and investigate it as a homicide. But there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at what homes are around. Do those homes have cameras on them? Is there a vehicle involved? If there's in New York City, there's license plate readers. There's also cameras that uh, if you go through a red light or if you're speeding, I'm not sure about where these bodies were found. The camera angle could be a double-edged sword in a rural area. So rural area, you might think, ah, I'm not going to get any cameras off a house that saw anything because they're so spread apart. But the good part about that is, depending on how, just how rural it is, if there's not a lot of traffic down that road... Once you do find a camera, it might be two miles away. It might be a 7-Eleven. It might be a, 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 a tiny little store, a general store, a gas station. But if there's not much traffic going up that road, you know, you might narrow down, you know, who dumped that body just by the fact that, hey, only a dozen cars have traveled this road in the last three days. And now you narrowed it down. So it could be a double-edged sword. The videos will be sparse, but the ones you have, you know, might be very fruitful. If it's rural, the roads might not be so great. You might have tire impressions. You might have footprints at the scene that don't belong to the deceased that could help you in your investigation. But you got to speak to people. So you do a canvas to speak to people that live and work in the area, frequent the area. You would do a 24-hour canvas, it's called, a seven-day canvas, meaning the exact time and day of the week uh, that if you know what time that body was left there, you would want to, you know, see who's in that area during that day and time. One of the most important things also is talking to family and friends of the victim. Once you identify them, you really need to speak to family, um, good friends. They'll tell you, oh, he was, she was supposed to meet this person or she goes to school. She didn't show up at school. Um, and they'll give you that start 
the direction where you want really want to start and uh, to figure out how that day went or what happened that day that led to the demise. Family and friends are very important here. I think one of the things that the executives in the police departments that are investigating that, and there's quite a few, they have to do two things here. They have to have a public communication strategy in place, which I think they do. I've seen the chief of police of the Portland Police Bureau come out emphatically and say there is nothing to connect all of these debts and make them a serial killer. And the second thing is uh, someone's got to coordinate this because there's four or five different counties involved. There's different medical examiners involved. There's the state police. You have a state park involved. So someone's got to coordinate it. And it looks almost like the the chief of the Portland Bureau of Police is quarterbacking this. However, he's only got two of those investigations. So you got to bring it all together. And I think they might be a little gun shy. They're saying that they're working together, but they're not saying they have a task force. And I think they're doing that strategically for messaging purposes, because the minute you say you have a task force, people are going to go back into that mode where they're all connected to the same killer, possibly. So I think they're handling that end of it well. But at the same time, we still got to figure out who these people are, some of them, and how they died. A big part of that is going to be the medical examiner's office. And you guys are the experts in that. I mean, we need a toxicology here. How does that happen? Yeah, Pat, some of them are, are still pretty new for toxicology to come back. They were found the end of April. Generally, you want six to eight weeks, maybe even longer for the toxicology results to come back to see uh, if there's drugs in the system, what type of drugs are in the system. So we're almost at that point. Always frustrating to the detectives investigating to have to wait that period because you don't want to sit on your hands for that six or eight weeks while you're waiting to find out, hey, it's an OD, it's not a murder. Correct. You're 100% right. So when you're in that point, they may be able to rule out one or two once the autopsy results are finalized. They did say the unidentified female is not a homicide, so you could eliminate her from the equation. I think it goes back to what you were saying before. If law enforcement doesn't openly give everything they have to the community, it leaves that void, and that void creates people's speculation um, and people like drama, and they just stir up the drama. And it, it's uh, ironic here in this situation, uh, the families of these women are coming forward asking for the online sleuths to keep the opinions low. They don't want what happened with the Idaho Four to go viral in this case as well. I think they've been coached by the uh, the police that are investigating this on on what to say on social media and the press. And that's a good thing because in a case like this, like I've always said, you have to have a robust public information strategy. It has to be in place before you have an incident like this. And then you just have to execute on it and do the best you can. If you don't control the message, like our friend Judy Powell taught us, someone else will. In today's day and age with technology, there's no reason why you can't have systems already in place to blast emails out to your community so everybody could be up to speed on what's going on. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about it. So I believe that there's about a half a dozen law enforcement agencies that are involved with these six deaths. So you have, it looks like the Portland Police Bureau is coordinating everything with these agencies. So is it beneficial to get out there that these may be linked? Or is it, does it hinder the investigation to put it out there that there's a possible serial killer out there? And, you know, you could look at the pros and cons on both. Absolutely, they don't want it to become another Idaho 4 case where the public kind of got ahead of the investigation. Moscow Police Department were basically eaten up by the online sleuths. And 
it just got out of hand. So I think that is definitely on their mind. But then you also have to look at these women that are dead. They have families. Their families are concerned. If they were murdered, is there an investigation being done? Is there a murderer out there? Then you have other women out there that are in the same position as these women were in prior to their death that may be vulnerable if there's a killer out there. So law enforcement has to balance that. And I think definitely, you know, the toxicology reports got to come back, the DNA results, they're looking for any commonality between these uh, women. And if you look at the unidentified Native American, I think you, if you take her out of the equation, I think the only reason why they put her in there is because she was found the same day that Perry was found on April 24th. Three miles away. And right, three miles away, she's found the same day as another another woman that was dead. So I think they kind of, they include that. If you look at last year's dead woman that were found, I think there's about six of them. I, I know they're, they're looking into those as well. Could there be some commonality? But again, let's talk about law enforcement at this point. Pat, if you had the investigation, do you come forward and say, I believe there's a serial killer? Do you come forward and say- at this point, we can't say it is a serial killer, but we're investigating them, which it seems like they're doing right now. Here, here's what I feel my responsibility would be, and that's how I'd act. Number one, you have a responsibility to put out the facts as you know them, so you can alert the public that there may be a danger out there. But in this case, that also includes the fact that, hey, we got a, a spurt of dead bodies in a very short period of time, but the fact is, at this point... We cannot connect any of them. And as a matter of fact, we're investigating them, but only one of them has been deemed a homicide. And I would actually kind of carve that one out and investigate that as I would any other homicide. Right now on that one, I believe that's um, Joanna Speaks. That was a dump job. The woman was not killed where the body was found. That's a normal homicide. Go look at the people closest to her, the people she was last seen with. You know, all the normal things. Where was she? Cell sites, phone, social media, the things we do on a normal homicide. That one will go, probably. But I think the chief of Portland has handled this well as far as what he does put out and what he doesn't put out. If you notice, they didn't go into a lot of facts, a lot of small, specific facts about each body. But he did tell the public, we have nothing to connect these at this time. And I think that's enough, and that's all you could ask of them. And then his job is to coordinate all these different entities. You have Portland, you have Multnomah County, you have Polk County, you have Clark County. That was the one that's been designated a homicide. And you have Clackamas County. Who's pulling all of that together? They say they're all talking, but they're staying away from the, the term task force. But the bottom line is that's all got to be coordinated so they're not duplicating effort. And also, you take care of directing the investigation and handling the public information end of it. And then your job as that chief is to get the hell out of the way and let the detectives do what the detectives do. And I haven't seen anything that indicates they're not doing that. I agree. I think law enforcement strategy with this is, uh, is a very tactical way in which they're doing it. They're letting the public know only certain information. I think at the end of the day, we're going to find out there's a variety of things. You're going to find out one is a homicide, might be a domestic, someone she knew, uh, Two, possibly three might be overdoses and maybe one or two undetermined, you know, until a future date. But the bottom line is, I think uh, we have to go with what we're being told by the chief of the Portland Bureau of Police. None of the facts 
in these cases support that there is a serial killer or one person responsible for these, or in fact, that they're all homicides. So you have to go with that. I know a serial killer makes a better story, but you can't just make it up. Yeah, I think if you have six bodies and it is a serial killer, it's going to kind of stand out right away. I think you have six opportunities to say it's the same perp, maybe at least on two or three of them, you could connect them right away. But I think it's kind of odd to have six bodies and no connectivity, no no real connectivity um, to any of them. But, but like I said, you have very basic uh, circumstantial information here that's kind of uh, lassoing around these six bodies. They're females. They're 100 miles in radius. They're in wooded areas, possible drug use. That's kind of circumstantial. That's kind of a broad range to put it into one pattern. You know, you really want to see more tangible information like the DNA profile matches the same person or the video shows possibly the same person leaving or entering the scene, height, weight, description. Like that's more tangible to say that there is a serial killer here. Right now, all they really have is circumstantial information. Uh, females, wooded area, uh, possible drug use, possible homeless. Very, very circumstantial information. And I think that's the uh, discrepancy here where they're teeter-tottering. Could it be the same perp or is it not a same perp? But I think you wait a couple of weeks. Once the autopsies are finalized, they'll be able to figure this out. I think we're going to find out the connectivity is the uh, the substance abuse. Agreed. But again, if there is a, a serial killer out there and say two or three of them are linked together, wouldn't they be the perfect target? And I think that's what people are trying to say. Is and and Absolutely. I think- we know that historically, when you have serial killers, they, they pick at the margins of society, people that are the most vulnerable. Right. You, and I think law enforcement is doing their due diligence. I, I believe they're mapping it out. What proximity were they found? When was the last time they were seen? Who they were last in contact with? They're looking at whatever paths were crossed. If there is a commonality, if they met somebody, if two of them or three of them met the same person right before their death or communicated with the same person right before their death or got into the same car right before their death, now you have something that you could run with. And again, that takes time. I mean, I guess that sums it up. I'm going to take the spokesman for the Portland Bureau of Police at his word and say there are no facts at this time to support the fact that there is a killer killing women out there, multiple multiple women. And that's that. Thank you for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC, sponsored by AMC Media. Hit subscribe and follow us for free access to our most up-to-date episodes. You can find Real Crime NYC on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat. I'm Chris. And I'm Bill. We'll see you when we see you.